Welcome to the Winnow, a podcast about dining in the South and beyond. I'm Robert Moss, the author of Barbecue, the History of an American Institution. And I'm Hannah Raskin, food editor at The Post and Career. Well, today is our festival preview edition of the Winnow because we're going to take a look forward at what's coming up with the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. All right. Well, let's welcome our guest, Jillian Zetler, is executive director of Charleston Wine and Food Festival. This is her fifth year coming up in 2019. And Jillian has come in today um, to talk a little bit about plans for that festival and specifically about um, some innovative ways to involve more women in festivals, mm-hmm. since that's long been a sticking point for many events. So, Jillian, welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. So so tell me at the outset just kind of the broad strokes of, of what y'all have in mind for this coming year. I know, you know, inclusivity is not new this year. You've tried to do things along these lines before, but so what what are we looking at that that's gonna be different in this coming year? Well, I mean, I think that there's been Lots and lots that's been um, bringing women to the forefront of conversations, uh, specifically in the past year, year and a half. Um, And I think as a team of primarily women that's producing the festival, we've had a lot of a lot of conversations internally about what that looks like for the event that we're producing and what is our slice of the pie when we're having that conversation for ourselves. Um, and we really, you know, it's so much more than just hoping things will happen. And so we tried to have a little bit of a deep dive internally about, you know, what are the things that we can control and what are ways that we can move the needle to make the festival look more like we want it to look. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about the the makeup of your own staff, because I don't know how much of this is visible to the public at large. But, you know, you see we talk about celebrity chefs or tend to be male and you see, you know, kitchens are dominated by men. But events, food events and 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 the PR behind them mm-hmm. and around them is like all women. Almost all women. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Why is that? I don't know. I, I really don't know. Maybe we're gluttons for punishment. Um, they're definitely, you know, it, it takes a lot of mental strength, um, physical, you know, stamina to be a part of the event community. Um, and, you know, I think Charleston, I mean, we've got a lot of killer female pr- event like a uh, events that are produced by women, um, you know, with Fab and BevCon. And, you know, we've got all these great key events happening in Charleston for the food and Bev community. So, you know, I I don't know why it is, but I definitely even even in our intern interviews that we have with the College of Charleston, I mean, we we really have had, I think, in my tenure here, like one intern that's been male that's applied. And um, we're excited that we actually just hired him in a contract capacity um, for for our marketing department. So I don't know. Um, So obviously, you're trying to cover different topics and be dynamic each and every year. But obviously, as a Southern food festival, there are things you have to you have to address, right? So, um, and I mean the fun stuff. So, you know, if 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 the festival were to look at something like barbecue ten years ago, how would it look different in this coming year, keeping an eye toward diversity and inclusivity? Well, I'm, all right. If we'll give you a little, we'll give you a little sneak peek. I mean, uh, we're really excited that um, the way that we interpret barbecue through the festival this year is going to be definitely spearheaded by women. There are some really fabulous female pitmasters, um, and they're going to take center stage for the for the. 14th installment of the festival. So um, having a lot of fun being able to brainstorm with some of those women about who they'd be really excited to cook around and with. And uh, we'll definitely see a good showing, I think. 
Right. And talk about, we had talked about um, International Women's Day coincides with the festival. It just kind of turned out that way. Um, and I know that you're wanting each and every day to have women involved. But uh, tell me what you're doing with the signature dinners. So, uh, again, in line with this, what are things that we can do? You know, it's it's already difficult from a planning standpoint because the majority of the makeup of local executive chefs here in Charleston are men. Um, so, you know, again, when you're just looking at what the pie looks like, it's not as simple as saying, like, heading to the website, a ticket launch and going, oh, man, like, did they really invite more than they did last year? Like, you are already have a few cards stacked against you Um you know, per se. So we shot out a letter um, that was from me. And, you know, it was, I I guess, slightly vague in the interpretation um, for the reader to say, hey, we're asking you to invite someone that doesn't look like you. Obviously reference that it's International Women's Day. Um, But I was really, really proud of the local chef community and the way that they responded. You know, generally speaking, we ask for them to name a first, second and third choice of who they'd love to work with. And, you know, across the board, it was it was basically first, second and third choices we're all women. Some are names that you would have heard of. Some are faces that would be brand new to the festival um, and probably a first time to Charleston. So that was really, really cool to um, be able to use that as a driver for who would be here this year. Yeah, that's, uh, so yeah, you answered one of my questions was I was always wondering about those signature dinners, how they sort of come together. But I guess for, for reader or listeners who may not have visited the festival, it, it, signature dinners, or is it is it Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night? You have three nights of them? Yeah, they're a, they're primarily Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And it's usually a local chef, a local restaurant, and then they have a special guest chef come from somewhere out of town and then pair up and, and do a dinner. Is that usually the format? or is it? Yeah, I mean, the collaboration process is key. I mean, and it's funny, like, anyone that, that designs events of this type, like, 98% of what you're doing is dependent upon other people right. giving you information. <laughs> um, and so even for those signature dinners, like it certainly would be super easy for us to say, these are the chefs we want to come. This is who you're working with, but that's not super collaborative in nature. So it really is like trying to ask local people who they're excited about working with. And sometimes it's someone that they have been reading about or watching. Sometimes it's someone that is just like a super, you know, like, I would just die if I got to be in the in the kitchen with this person. And so we're excited to be able to be the connectors of that um, if we can. So how do you get the the ticket buyers excited about names they don't know? By just mm-hmm. by definition, men are gonna be better known than women when it comes to chefs. There are exceptions to that, obviously, but not as many as there should be. So how do you get the buy-in from the ticket buyer? Well, I mean, I think that's partially where dynamic programming comes into play. Um, and you know. Seeing and participating is a lot of times believing, and we've got Charleston as the backdrop, which is is hugely helpful. But I think for for a lot of folks, men or women, how how well known they are, it's really just giving people a platform to share a really cool story. Um, so I think what we try to do, and the the time frame to do it from the time that the festival closes to when we launch ticket sales is very consolidated. Um, is to try to not be super siloed. Chat with people in the community. What are they excited about? Who are they excited about? Is it ingredients? Is it a venue? And you know that that program programming can be kind of spawned from a million different places. And I mean, are you going to be, is this going to be explicit with guests like, all right, women this year, or is it something that you hope that just, you know, works the way into the back of their minds? 
I mean, I hope that it's a tangible thing that um, that people walk away with without having to be really, really showy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's also, you know, there's a line where women, female chefs want to be also just known as chefs, not a female chef. So um, we're not trying to parade people through on Friday. You'll see women all weekend long, but um, International Women's Day just feels like a great thing to be able to celebrate in the context of the of the festival. We're talking here in, in, in July. Um, so what's the sort of schedule like in terms of when, I know you always have a, a big launch event for opening tickets. When's that coming up for... So the, last year we did something slightly different, and we're actually going to stick with that format format this year. Is that um, again, in the interest of not making things more difficult for such a tiny team, which <laughs> the outside folks can't see that we are a small but mighty um, eight eight people usually. Um, but we were planning this launch event on the same day that tickets went on sale, um, and that always hasn't always been the easiest scenario to get that um, that big ship out of the dock. <laughs> so really focusing on the buyer experience and there's so much to dive into on the website really kind of allowing ourselves to be concierges for that day so we have open office hours and I was actually blown away you know last year we probably had over a hundred people that came through the office Mm. on the day of on sale just to ask the staff like hey this is the experience I want what would you suggest Um, and we were able to really just focus on the buyer experience that day and um, we pivoted to do uh, we did a day of the dead event Mm -hmm. last year um, around November. And so we'll do another fall event. And we'll actually also be launching um, a full year of programming in our in-house test kitchen that we just um, unveiled a couple of months ago, too. So lots of event experiences throughout the year, which are also wine and food. Um, but um, we're going to we're gonna try to take a deep breath and not be producing an event on the same day as ticket launch. <laughs> that's probably, yeah, that's actually really smart. Now. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it took us a little while to figure yeah, that yeah. out. But. Well, t- tell me about the, the test kitchen and, and the kind of events you, you'll do there. Yeah, so I again like there's there's food festivals everywhere and some of them are excellent um, and so you're always trying to find a way that sets yourself apart and I think also be able to be a place that can produce content on a year-round basis um, so we were really excited it took a long time um, you know real estate here in Charleston is at a premium uh, even office space and so we were really excited to be able to find some great synergy and you know in a really cool spot downtown um, that had the bones of a kitchen in in the back, and we worked with some great local partners, Somatic and Thermidor and Le Creuset, William Sonoma, and were able to flip this space um, into a test kitchen. So, you know, I think it's kind of two parts. One is us producing programming. We'll have some ability for people to rent the space out if they want to do a photo shoot with food styling, um, beverage classes, whatever. But, you know, again, down the line, the hope is also that it's a bit of a community culinary and hospitality space. So, you know, we, we're we're one of those teams that we kind of bend and stretch with the size that we are based on the year, the, the time of year. Um, so ideally, I mean, I know there are folks that are running payroll and doing scheduling, sitting at the bar, you know, <laughs> because their office space is the size of a closet. Um, so the hope is that as people are aware of what our office looks like, you know, they can come use it as a co-working space if they want to. We've got a big conference room that, you know, can be used for free. And we've actually already had some folks take it at take advantage of it. Even, you know, wine reps hauling wine all day long that post up and use the Wi-Fi in the back. So really just want to be, 
be seen as a place we ask a lot from the local community when they participate in the festival and trying to find ways that we can continually give back. Yeah. It sounds like also ways that you're not just a, this five-day event a year. Yeah, once yeah. a year, but something that's a presence in the, in the culinary scene. Absolutely, be in top of mind. I mean, and there's a lot going on here in Charleston. I mean, just Charleston alone, forget about when you look more globally. So cutting through the, the noise and being relevant year-round. Well, I think that may lead us to, as we're talking about sort of how the Charleston f- uh, Festival is changing, I'd be curious to get your, your insight or your take on how both, both the Charleston Wine and Food, but food festivals in general, how have you seen them evolving in, in recent years? Because I think they used to be, you really get a bunch of chefs together and you know, put these events together, sell tickets for them. But um, definitely, definitely the Charleston Wine and Food Festival has changed a lot over 14 years. So where have you been trying to take it? in addition to, you know, getting more women involved in the things we were talking about already? Well, I think a big thing that was important for me from the onset is that you want to try to be as inclusive as possible. And I think a place that that starts is in the the way that people participate. Ha- you have to be able to be agile in what you ask for. You know, this the thing that a restaurant that only is family-owned and can only seat 15 people, their experience has to look different than that of a huge restaurant group. They have different resources financially and otherwise. Um, so, you know, that is kind of where a lot of those excursion-type things mm-hmm. were born with the festival, things that were really smaller in size and and not making it one size fits all because, you know, it, it, the same on the wine side. There are people that are only producing 100 cases of wine a year. You can't ask them to come in and be in the culinary village yeah. for three days as a, you know, as a hook to get them here. So, you know, I think it's just being really nimble um, and and also creating space for really intimate experiences alongside things that may be, you know, like more party-like yeah. in nature. And one of the things I've always liked about the Charleston Festival, because I've done lots of them all over the, the South, is that many many of the festivals and, and other cities are pretty much in just one location, you know, either, you know, maybe it's maybe a convention center or maybe it's more like, a, you know, the, they block off the street or something, but everything's yeah. in, in one, one spot. But with the Charleston, there's events all over the place. So you really, if you're a visitor, you can... You, you, you're not just like stuck in, in the same three block area. You're, you're really getting to see the entire city. Well, that's the sense of place, right? I mean, so for us, it's Charleston. I mean, for the people that live here is way more than just King Street. I mean, King Street has really cool things, but um, we want people to see and experience places that are way beyond the peninsula. Mm-hmm. So that's also, you know, something that I think has changed quite a lot in the last five years is just, you know, and, and that people are willing, not just that you're saying, hey, we're going to produce an event out in Isle of Palms or, you know, out in Onda or you name it, but that people are excited and willing to purchase that ticket and um, and explore with you. So you mentioned finances earlier. Um, obviously, to keep your ticket prices down, you have to have sponsors. You have to, you know, work with some of these big money groups. Yep. You can't rely entirely on family-owned restaurants, if at all. So how do you balance that just in terms of finding the right mood for the festival? You know, it's hard. I mean, there are plenty of people we've said no to because it doesn't, it doesn't feel right. But again, I mean, I think 
everybody to a degree has a little bit of bigger box and a little bit of artisanal at home. So I think that it is just making sure we also slow down like as we've grown to really be able to do some um, reflection on whether it's a good brand fit, number one, with what we do. And again, like being able to not make anyone feel like because they're small, they can't participate. It's about being able to brainstorm together and find things that make sense, you know, and really trying to utilize some local relationships of people that are smaller to say, hey, like what what feels good to you? Do you get it? And I think that as long as you're finding places for those people to fit in, you know, everybody can play in the same sandbox together. What, um, so we're talking about very big ideas about, you know, inclusivity and money and all these things. I'm curious what 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 ticket buyers want most. I'm sure there are little things. Like, I know you always hear about, like, there was no water. Because I hear about it from people, too. We like, fixed that. Yeah. Aquapana, yeah. <laughs> San Pellegrino, shameless plug. Exactly, there. right? <laughs> so there's always water. Like, we always hear from readers, like, why don't you put more addresses in the paper? What are those little things that, that, that festival goers are always looking for that, like, you're just trying to figure out? Oh, that, man. You, God. Gosh, I mean, I feel like it kind of changes every year. The Culinary Village is like an ever-evolving machine. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's almost like Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. (laughs) Like you tweak this knob a little bit on the right, and then you got to tweak this thing on the left. So um, I think constantly being reflective about that experience Mm -hmm. and um, how to make sure like the flow is better and signage. Like, is there a way to get it higher so people can see what they're in Mm -hmm. line for? Just like little things. Um, What I'm proud of is usually by the time we get to like looking at guest feedback, mm-hmm. we're not surprised. Mm-hmm. I think if we were surprised by the things we were reading, I would be more worried. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think what I love about what what the festival says from a programming standpoint at this point is that your experience with food can be super luxe or it can be really laid back. And I want to make sure that our programming answers to all whatever experience you want. Um, So if you want to come and you want to have fine dining, high-end wine tastings, whatever, if that's your bag, we'll have it. Mm -hmm. But that, you know, there's also people that don't or can't spend a certain amount of money on tickets and that there's going to be cool experiences for them to take part in. And we design some things like we know they're going to be loss leaders, Mm -hmm. but it's just great programming, you know? Right, right. Always one. There have been just some fun ones in the past, like the Waffle House showdowns was a long running thing where chefs would come cook with Waffle House. And I think anything that's sort of a competition type thing gets the crowds going. Any any sneak peeks of other events this this year that that we might be coming down the pipeline? Oh, that people should keep an eye out for. Goodness, there's so much. What's what can I give you? I got my marketing and communications director hawk eyeing me in the back <laughs> about probably who she's promised mm. things to. Maybe too soon yet. <laughs> but there'll be something. <laughs> Lots some, of good exciting. stuff. But I know you know we'll be launching the schedule. There's so much that's also like moving and yep. shaking right now. But 24 hours in advance, the schedule will go live so people can take a peek. Um, and you know, hopefully, we're creating spaces and things for everybody to enjoy. And I always give the, my, my one plug for, for events is to 
I always think the wine seminars and the spirit seminars and the ones that are more education and educational in nature, I always would say don't don't skip those because those are really where I've learned the most about all types of things. Where you get some somebody like a, a winemaker who really knows his or her stuff, and then you can sit and have like six glasses side by side. And that's, there's no better way to learn about a particular like you know, region of, of wine. Well, or right, I think that's a great point to kind of keep an eye on the people because yeah. our food and wine is so good in Charleston to begin with. You know, a lot of that wine is often accessible to us, but not the explanation. So I'm, yeah. I'm totally down with that. I also always suggest lunches. I think the lunches are I always agree great. With you. Yeah. I agree with you. There's some new players this year on the lunch side, and it allows you to like really stretch your day. I think planning a really dynamic schedule um, is, is really the best way to go. That's how I would tackle it if I ever got to enjoy it yeah. from the consumer <laughs> side. Right, right, right. So we were talking earlier, we're taping this now the week of Tales of the Cocktail, which is a big cocktail conference um and it's gotten a lot of press in this orleans, year louisiana. in new orleans yep. yep um this is the 16th year i think so it's just older than the charles might be they kind of came up at the same time um and gotten a lot of press this year because the big kickoff party which is analogous to opening night for the festival is not going to have any alcohol at it for a cocktail oh, no. right? or a cocktail event yeah. or a cocktail event which is kind of crazy <laughs> uh, and we understand why this is happening obviously there's a lot of concern now about you know substance abuse in the industry and the role the industry plays and some of the um, the very Me Too things that led to our earlier discussion. Um, so what what where do you stand that Charleston Wine and Food, you know, 10 years ago was plenty debauched, right? So what how how are you what are you dealing with with wellness this year? Well, I think it's in two parts. You know, I think um, it's funny because I also feel like five years ago, six years ago, by no fault of the festival or who was producing it, that people also like put so much intrinsic value on like the alcohol was like what validated ticket prices. And I don't think that's the way that everybody is at this point. You know, um, there's a lot of people that go out and they have a food experience and they don't need to have the alcoholic component um, attached to it. So I think that that's number one is also like looking at ways that there are zero proof opportunities throughout the festival, Um, not just to offer like a a sober experience, but because you can have really great drinks that don't have alcohol in them. Um, And then I also think, you know, the wellness piece, like personally, um, and you probably deal with this, Hannah, like dealing in food all the time, Robert, Mm -hmm. like figuring out how you balance, like staying healthy and eating and drinking and all of that stuff. So, I mean, I think that's, that's what people are yearning for. We added a yoga event a couple of years ago and it was hugely successful. So I think it's, figuring out what are those ancillary experiences that are attached to food. And um, wellness is a huge a part of that right now. Do you get a sense when you've, we've scheduled those programs, maybe at yoga, I know we did cycle last year. When you do that, is it tend to be like athletes who are interested in food or food people interested in, in wellness or a little bit of both? I think it's a little, a little bit little of both. both. Yeah. yeah. I think it's people that like when they're traveling, like they want to get their workout in. So that's like a cool way to do it. Um, I also think for some people, it's like a fun way to try something new and they know there might be like a glass of rosé <laughs> waiting for them when it's all done. Right. Um, but I think even this year, we're trying to take it a step further and make sure that those pieces are super connected together. Like it's not just having healthy bites after you do a workout class. Mm -hmm. It's like, all right, if we're going to do a, you know, a class about, you know, yoga or meditation or whatever, are there foods that, you know, by their ingredient base or whatever, that those two things have synergy together. 
and I do think it's because uh, you, you can go too, way too down far down the path where it's everything's just this late night party, and it, that's all, it's, all, it's all partying. But this is, I think, it those type of events are sort of mixing food and wine with other types of activities, so that you know, they can actually coexist together. It's not Absolutely. like you have to choose one or the other. It, I'm going to be up all night long. At, but at the it's so funny to me. It, it does still seem like in the festival sphere, and this isn't specific to Charleston, but just trying to get anywhere near moderation is difficult. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I know that like when William Grant is throwing a party without without booze, you know how much sugar is going to yes. be there. Like we're all going to be drinking. <laughs> <laughs> so much juice. So like, yeah, it's very hard to find that. I, I want to hear a full report yeah, on that when you come sure. back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely do want to hear how that, yep. that opening event goes. That would be, that would be curious. Yep. Well, it's interesting, though. I will say, like, one of the, my favorite meals in New York recently was um, at ABCV. Mm-hmm. And they've got some really cool tonics on the menu. And just, I mean, again, like going for brunch there, it's all veggie-based. And, you know, it just was one of the most beautiful yummy meals that I've had in a while. Mm-hmm. It, did you go for lunch or dinner? I've actually been there for both mm-hmm. and it was great. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I was talking to Kelly at Basic Kitchen and she was saying like it makes so much sense during the day but sometimes at night like she really had to work to remind people you can have a glass of wine with this. You know, you yeah. get so much in the healthful way of eating. Um, and the reason I bring that up of course is if a restaurant is going to survive it pretty much has to sell alcohol yeah. like otherwise yeah. it's it's doomed. So it's, I think it's interesting how these places transition to an evening menu. Yeah, so. definitely. Well, I think they did, they've done some really interesting things about, um, you know, just how the vegetables are interpreted as a protein. Um, and, and even in the presentation, um, because it definitely has like this lunch brunch vibe to the restaurant, right. but I felt like in the evening, um, it was, it really was just as beautiful. And there were definitely people at our table who are imbibing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so just to recap for everyone, so it sounds like there's a lot coming up uh, here. And the festival itself is what is in March? March 6th through 10th. It's always right there in the beginning, March 6th through 10th. March 6th through 10th. All over Charleston, South Carolina. All over Charleston. And when do the tickets go on sale? Tickets go on sale August 29th. August 29th. That really is coming up. I know. Like a a free train, sister. Yeah. Wow. Good. Well, good luck. Um, I know we'll we'll probably be checking in with you again. Yeah, we'll check in once the the, the lineup is announced. Yeah, Yeah, that would be great. Talk about with folks what to expect and what's coming up. Yeah, and I'm sure if I had told you some things that were happening today three weeks from now, it would be totally different. (laughs) Even on August 28th, it would probably be different. Up until the wee hours, guys. You don't even want to know. Yep. Well, thanks so much for coming in and joining us. And we're looking forward to the the upcoming year. Cheers. All right. And that is all for this edition of The Winnow. We recorded today's episode in the... um, Today, gender-balanced podcasting <laughs> studios at the Post and Courier building in downtown Charleston, South Carolina. If you enjoy listening to The Winnow, please help other listeners find us too. Just go to iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you download your podcasts and like us or leave a rating. The Winnow is a production of the Post and Courier and Palmetto New Media. Our producer today was the... Festive. Jay Emery Parker. Our theme music is by the Bluestone Ramblers. Until next time, I'm Robert Moss. And I'm Hannah Raskin. Now get out there and eat. <laughs>